I'm recognizing like never before how much I really need God's help. You know, as, as I was growing up, I was taught, you know, you, you can't depend on everybody. So you got to make sure you depend on yourself. And then I found out the truth. The only one that you can depend on who will never fail you is God. And there, it's hard to make that shift of depending the dependence on other people or on yourself to God because God is the one that has our best interest at heart. And we've been learning about what it means to be connected to God, what it means to have God working in our life. We've been learning from the teaching that Jesus did in John chapter 15 where as they were leaving the upper room and they were heading to the Garden of Gethsemane, as they came off the Temple Mount into the valley, the Kidron Valley, they were walking through a vineyard, and at that moment, Jesus began to teach. And he, this is the first teaching that he has in that time, in that very intense time. It's like the eye of the storm, where there's peace, but everything around is just out of control. And the enemy was working up everything he could to take Jesus down, and Jesus knew it. But he also knew he had to impart some things to his disciples before he went to the cross, before he was killed and crucified before their face, and then raised from the dead and, and visited them again and was received into heaven. But this first teaching he teaches is about a vineyard and about how we relate to a vineyard and how he and his father relate to a vineyard and what he's looking for. And I'm just going to read verse 1 through 3, and it says... I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, we found out in our study, which is what we need to do. The Bible doesn't say read the Bible. It says study. That means you've got to break down the words because this isn't the original language. And so it's important that we break down the words. We find out what they really mean. And when it says takes away, it actually means to lift up. Because Jesus isn't going to chop you off because you're not bearing fruit. We all come into the kingdom without any fruit because it's a beginning. But he is patient and he's kind and he's merciful and he's gracious. And he begins to lift us from where we were. And, and the way he does that is he, he disciplines us. He trains us in this whole new kingdom that we're a part of. We don't know anything about it. All we know is the world that we lived in. And the world's ways are very different from God's kingdom's ways. In God's kingdom, the way up is down. The one who's going to be greatest in the kingdom is servant of all, but that's not what the world says. And so we need to learn about this, and that's part of what God does. He educates us and instructs us. He teaches us and tutors us and mentors us and trains us, and he corrects us and he disciplines us. All about this new and living way we're supposed to walk in. And, and that is the first part of the three stages that God has for us fruit-bearing. We go from no fruit to fruit, and how he does it he disciplines us. The second one, it says, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean in me because of the word that I've spoken to you. So we go from no fruit to fruit, and he does that by disciplining us. And that, that first stage is all about what goes on in our life because when we come to Christ, when we receive Jesus as Lord of our life, the Bible says we become a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But how many of you know that when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, 
The next time you looked at yourself in the mirror, you looked the same. Because there is a work that's an eternal work. You become new in your spirit. We are a spirit, we have a soul, and we live in a body. And so what happens is we become alive to God. All of a sudden, God moves in and inhabits us by the Spirit of God. Our sins are forgiven, wiped away, removed from us. God wipes the slate clean. The Bible says that He removes your sin as far as the east is from the west. And He places it in the sea of forgetfulness. So if you're reminded of past sins that God forgave you of, know it's the enemy. And you don't need to listen to him. But we're made new in our spirit. But our soul and our body still have this change that has to occur. One day ahead of us as Christians, we're going to all receive a glorified body. And it's just the same as what, what Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. He walked through walls. It was an amazing thing. But we'll receive a glorified body when we go to be with him. But until that time, our soul. Now, what's our soul? Our mind, will, emotions, our desires, all those things. That's something that we are supposed to be working with with God in this life because you and I both know that there are things in our lives that we got saved, but some thoughts, habits, patterns, things in our lives continued on that were not what God wanted. And so this first stage is God dealing with the act of sin that's still in our life because what is the, the payoff of sin? What does sin bring to our life? Death. And God doesn't want death working in your life because he gave Jesus and Jesus came to give himself so that you would have what? Life and life more abundant, right? And so if God wants life more abundant in our lives, he doesn't want death working in it. And so he is going to, in that first stage, he's going to help us become aware of what we need to put away, the sin that's still active in our life because it's hindering what God wants to and can do in our lives. Because what we give to sin, we can't give to God. And what we give to God won't be given to sin. And so that first, first stage is God dealing with sin in our lives. The second stage where it says the, the, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. So that it'll bear more fruit. And this second stage is about God looking at things in our life that have drawn us away, are pulling us away, dividing our attention, our allegiance, our resources from Him and His will because His will is best in our life. When we follow God and we, we rely on God and we choose to allow God to have His way, His way brings abundant life. But where we don't, we're literally robbing ourselves and dividing ourselves between something and God. And when anything else other than God wins in our life, we have less than what God intended. And so he prunes it. He, he begins to point at this and this. And it may, not be, it, it, it may not be sin. It may be a real neutral thing. Or it may be something that's be, been a part of our lives for a long time. We like it. It's good. It's not bad. It's not sin. But this good is robbing and keeping us from God's best. And so he, he will point at these things. He'll make us aware of these things. And all of a sudden, we've got a choice. 
Because these first two stages, God initiates and we have to choose whether we're going to participate. He can point his finger at sin in our lives. And if we say, well, you know what? I like it. I'm going to keep it. He's not going to make you get rid of it. And even the good things. Because a house divided or a city divided or a kingdom divided or a life divided. Who are we pursuing? Who is the priority in our life? What is the one essential in our life? Because anything other than God is going to have our life living at a lower level than God intended and Jesus died for. And so this, this second aspect is good things, but not necessarily God things. And these two that God initiates and we have to choose to participate are issues in our lives that hinder God from having His way. The psalmist said, search me, O Lord, and show me. If there's any way in me that's hindering you from having your way, when we hinder God from having his way, we're hindering life. We're hindering health. We're hindering peace. We're hindering joy. We're hindering the flow of prosperity. We're hindering the flow of real wisdom that comes from above. All these things that God freely wants to give, He won't force on us. And if we've got something that we have chosen over or other than God, it's an obstacle. It's an opposition to the flow of God. And so we get to the third stage that we began to talk about last week. And in verse 4 and 5, it, Jesus talks about the fact that if you abide, abide in me and I will abide in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in, in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Now that much fruit, we found out, means maximum. It's the maximum production. It's the optimum potential. See, we were all born and created with a potential. This this plan that God had for us, but it can never be realized apart from God. That's why we have to come to Christ, because before that time, we're not connected. The life of God can't flow in us because we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And when we receive Christ and his forgiveness in our lives, all of a sudden we have this new divine connection to God. And at that moment, God comes to live in you. Holy Spirit comes to live in you. Jesus said, my Father and I will make our abode. This is about abiding, our abode in you by the Spirit. And so he, he, he produces the maximum life and potential and fruit and everything in our lives. Now, have any of us made it there? No. No. The only person that we see that reached the optimum was Jesus. But I have to help you understand that if we reach the optimum, if we are uh, getting rid of sin in our life, Jesus didn't have to do that, causing self to be diminished that the Father would have his way and not Jesus have his way, just like John the Baptist said, he must increase and I must decrease. Because we don't always know what's best. We know what we like and what we want, but we don't always know what's best. We get tricked by what's good and it robs us of best. But in that time, Jesus said, I always do those things that please the Father. He chose to deny himself, just like he's told us, but also to engage his Father and fulfill everything his Father wanted. Not because he was a puppet, 
but because he loved his father so much and he knew his father loved him so much and there was no one and nothing that could do better in his life or through his life. And so he freely and fully gave himself to the father. But in saying that, as much as God worked, God the Father worked and Holy Spirit worked in Jesus' life, it wasn't the easiest life, was it? Hello? You know, sometimes we think, well, if I do everything God wants, if I'm on track with God, if I'm submitted to God, if I'm surrendered to God, if I'm yielded to God, if I'm abiding in God, then my life is going to be smooth. No. No, you're going you're to have battles. And sometimes you're going to have even more battles the more submitted and committed you get to God. Because the enemy is going to take it as a real offense to him, and he's going to see if he can get you to disconnect. And that's where we come to this place, and it talks about abiding, abiding. And we've looked at this, and when we abide, we bear much fruit. But to abide, it's the word meno, and it means to stay in a place or a relationship. It means to continue to dwell, endure, to stand firm, steadfast, and not depart, to make a home, to make a home, which is a place we all want to get to. When a home is what it's supposed to be, man, we can't wait to get back home. We can't wait to get around people that love us and, and believe in us and are there to encourage us and support us. Now, every home isn't that way. But it's what God wants. God wants your life to be the best when you're around him and when you're connected to him. And, and sometimes we, we are very aware of that and other times we are not. It also means to be present or to wait upon. And so we abide. We abide. It's this connection between the branch and the vine. And understand that in the world that we live in, there are so many things pulling at you and me to pull us away from that connection. And if, if in a vineyard there was a branch that was being pulled by the wind or by some force, there'd be a tearing. And that tearing would diminish the ability for the vine to flow, the life of the vine, into the branch and would diminish the life in the branch. Same is true for us. These things pulling on us. All the things in the world that pull on us to pull us away. Now, there are things in our lives that pull us towards God. When we've got good, good Christian friends that, that love us, that encourage us in the Word, that pray for us, that, that maybe help us study and things like that, that'll help us stay connected. But we can't rely on everybody else. We have to make this determination on our own and say, you know what? Nothing is going to pull me away from God. Nothing is going to distract me. Nothing is going to cause me to begin to separate from God. And this morning, we're going to look in, in, in the Scripture and see where Jesus spoke some things that tell us how important abiding is and what comes from abiding. Not just much fruit, but there are all sorts of things that we're here for, for God and for others, that are necessary for us to understand why this abiding is so, so essential and how the enemy is working so hard to get us to be pulled away. But before we go there, let's just pray. If you'd bow your heads. Heavenly Father, thank you. Your word assures us where two or more are gathered, you are there in their midst. You're here. You're there with everyone online. 
There's no time or distance in the Spirit. God, you're everywhere. But too often, we live our lives as if you weren't there. And that's to our detriment. So, Father, help us. Help us in this moment right now. I thank you for every person present and every person online that has taken the time to set it aside for you. That you would speak to each one of us. That you would have instruction and direction for us. Encouragement and correction. Through your word and by your spirit, your word says that we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth from you. Today, Father, you are going to speak to each one of us individually and all of us collectively. And there's something you have uniquely and strategically for each one of us. Help us to have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying to us. That, Father, this wouldn't be just a bunch of information. But Holy Spirit would bring revelation. And as we become aware of what you're speaking to us and apply it to our lives, we'll experience transformation and go from glory to glory. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. So Jesus encourages us, He tells us that we need to abide. But we initiate this. We're the ones. We, we found out last week, the Bible says, draw near to God, and what will he do? Draw near to us. See, God is as close to you today. God is as involved with you today as you've chosen to let him be. God doesn't have any favorites. I used to look at people and I think, you know, God, it's not fair. You, you love this one, and you love this one, and you do this for this one, and this for that one, and and. I was like, God, you just play favorites. And the scripture says he's not a respecter of persons. But it also says when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. And when I took a step back and began to look at the people that I was having a problem with, because I thought they were his pets. Now, my wife has a, a little sign that says, God loves everybody, but I'm his favorite. And I laugh at that every time I see it, because I know I'm his favorite. And I know you're his favorite. We're all his favorite. So if we're all his favorite, why, why does one person's life track different than another? Why, why, why are some people, they seem to be so blessed all the time. Well, I think if you really look, one of two things is happening. One, they're a new Christian and God is just, just flowing the grace over them. And the enemy doesn't really see them as a threat. The other one is, that they have made a decision, a quality decision, they are going to focus on God. They are going to get near to God. They're going to abide in God. And what they're doing is they're taking every obstacle, every opposition that is, is in their life out of the way so God can flow freely and fully. And I'm telling you, we choose how great the flow of God is in us. God doesn't choose it. When we read... He said, abide in me and I in you. Our choice to connect first then engages God to be able to reconnect with us. When we turn our lives to Christ and receive salvation, then he comes into our life. 
But he won't invade our life until we turn towards him, until we track towards him, until we choose to connect with him. Because if that was not the case, everybody would be saved, and not everybody is saved. It's an intentional choice we make, just like abiding. It's an intentional choice whether we're going to move towards God or be moved and drawn away towards something else. And when we move towards God, he moves towards us. As we move towards God and we begin to remove the things that are hindering him from having his way in our lives, then the flow of God becomes more full than ever before. In John 14, verse 9 through 11, prior to this teaching that Jesus did, he was teaching his disciples this, and uh, he, was, he was telling them he was going to depart, he's leaving, this was in the upper room. And he, he says, I'm going to go away, but you know where I'm going. And they said, no, we don't. And he said, yes, you do. And, and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, so you remember him saying that. But right here, uh, there's an interaction where Jesus said, have I been so long with you uh, all this time, Philip, and yet still you don't know who I am? You know, that could be said about a lot of us. We've, we've been Christians for years, but we still don't know who he is. How do you get to know somebody? Is it just time? Because there are people we've known for a long time, but how do, we, how do we really get to know about a person? It does take time. But what else does it take? Effort? Yes? No? Interest? Does it take an intentional time to connect and begin to draw out of them and find out about them. Hey, what's your favorite color? What do you like to eat? What do you like to do? You know, there's an interaction. You ask questions, you receive information and understanding. And then being around them and doing life, when you're doing life, man, you learn a lot about people. Well, we need to do life with God. We need to have real intentional time with God where we're, we're interacting and, and so he said, you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? Does that, that kind of ring a bell? I'm in the Father and the Father's in me? It's abiding. And Jesus just didn't teach his disciples to abide. He didn't just say, you guys better abide. Or else. Jesus showed them through everything he did. He showed them what a life of abiding was like. I am in the Father and the Father is in me. The words that I speak are not my own. My Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe because of the works that you've seen me do. Now, the Bible tells us, Jesus said the works that I do, who will do? You. His disciples will do. The works that he did, he said, you'll do and greater. But we're going to have to do them the same way he did. And he says, I didn't do them on my own. When was the last time one of you worked a miracle? Right? 
Wouldn't we all want miracles to happen every day in people's lives all around us? But what's hindering that? Well, part of it is we need to be in the place where we allow God to flow through us. Because there is a gift, one of the gifts of the Spirit, the workings of miracles. And we have to be a vessel that allows God to flow through us. We can't demand God and say, all right, I want a miracle right here, right there. Now, we can do what the Bible tells us. The Bible says we're supposed to lay hands on the sick. Anybody know what he promised would happen? They'll recover. But it says believers will lay hands on the sick. These signs will follow those who believe. They'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Do you know what won't happen? If you don't believe and lay hands on the sick and pray, you aren't guaranteed a recovery. We've got to believe. And what are we going to believe in? We've got to believe in God, who He is. He's Jehovah Rapha, our healer. We've got to believe in the Word of God that says we've been redeemed from the curse of the law, which is all sickness, disease, and poverty, that by His stripes we were healed, that healing is the children's bread. We've got to believe in the Word. And we've got to get... Doubt and unbelief out of the way. Obstacles that hinder the flow of God. Because faith and doubt won't work in the same time. One's going to overpower the other, and we've got to choose. But he said, don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but the Father's. Who lives in me and what? Oh, come on. Open book. You can speak up. Listen, I'm shy and I speak up, so I don't care how shy you are. Go ahead. What will happen? Does the work through who? Me. Does the work through you. This abiding, when we get the sin removed, and we're never going to be completely sin-free. There's going to be sin acting in our life, whether we know it or not. We're not going to be so selfless that we don't have self-operating. But understand this. When we get sin to the minimum, when we get self-guidance and governing and, and, and self-reliance to a minimum, all of a sudden God is able to flow and work through you. We're standing at a time where we are growing very close to the return of the Lord. All the things we see going on in the world that are like out of control, just crazy out of control, how people are treating each other. The Bible tells us this is going to happen. We shouldn't be shocked. But what precedes the return of the Lord is the biggest harvest of souls into the kingdom that there ever has been. And God has intended that you and me, his church, the body of Christ, would be the main means by this harvest coming in. But part of what's going to happen in this time is God's going to work these signs, wonders, and miracles through you. You know, when we look back over church history, we see these people that are like standing above other people that God used, individuals that stood out because God used them so monumentally and so miraculously. And yet in these days, the Bible says God's pouring out His Spirit on all flesh. God wants your life to be so overflowing with His Spirit, with His fruit, with His gifts, 
that God is able to do these amazing things, that people are being drawn to you because of the fruit and the gifts are working in you that are causing people to take notice that God's with you. And they're going to turn to God. And yet, we have to be prepared. Vessels prepared unto honor. Because the Bible talks about in the house, there are two types of vessels. Vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. They're both vessels in the house. And the question is, what kind of vessel are we going to choose to be? And when we abide and we allow God to begin to discipline us and and remove the sin in our lives and begin to prune us and remove the self in our lives, we become more us than we've ever been because God knows how he created us and what he created us for. And in that moment, all of a sudden, these things are taken out of the way and God is able to flow through your life more fully than ever before. And if we don't have the fruit in our lives, the character of Christ in our lives, and the gifts start working, we've seen that happen many times in the body of Christ where God is working through an individual or through an organization, and amazing things are happening, and people are being drawn. And all of a sudden, there is this just major train wreck where There's some sort of sin or something else, and all of a sudden the whole thing caves in. It like collapses on itself. Why does that happen? It happens because we have not come to that place where we are developed enough, yielded enough, and full enough of what what God has for us. We've got sin working in secret. We've got self elevating over God, and so we're doing all sorts of things. And God is wanting to work through us, but we can't sustain it because it's hollow. We've got a form of godliness, but we're not filled the way God has for us to be filled because we're not abiding and connected. The key here is God does his work through us because we're abiding in him. Until we abide in him, it's, it's going to be hindered. Then in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21, the apostle Paul writes, again, talking about abiding, I have been crucified with Christ. In him I have shared his crucifixion. Now, when we talk about crucifixion, it's not something that we really relate to, right? When was the last time you saw somebody crucified? I really, I'm asking you that because for the people that read this, that this was written to, they saw it almost every day. They saw people on crosses lining the roads because the ruling government would put people on the crosses to show them, don't do this. And when they saw these people on the crosses, it wasn't like, oh man, they're having a bad day. It was the most painful thing they could do to somebody and make them an example. And yet, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. The scripture says we're supposed to crucify our flesh. Now, stay with me. 
because I know you came for good news, and this is going to turn into good news, but right now it's a little intense. If somebody came to you and said, let me smack your hand with a hammer, how many of you would say, I'll go first? Right, none of us. What if somebody said, if I hit your hand with a hammer, I'm going to make sh- that, that will guarantee that your kids will never have another want or need in their lives. Would you be more willing to possibly consider it? Yeah. Why? Because of the result of what would come from that. And we're not talking about smacking your hand with a hammer. We're talking about crucifying our flesh. We're talking about denying ourselves. We're talking about what Jesus did and the result of what Jesus' life provided. What did Jesus' life provide? Salvation for everyone who would choose to recognize who he is, that he was the Messiah that died for their sin, repent of their sin, and receive him as Savior. That's a pretty good deal. One for everyone. And yet, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. In him I have shared his crucifixion. It's no longer I who live, but Christ, the Messiah, lives in me. So it's not us getting up on a cross, but it's us choosing to crucify, to do whatever it takes to make sure that we aren't having our way, but God is having His way. No longer I that lives. Oh man, that sounds like it's a lot. But Christ lives in me. And look at this. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by adherence and reliance and complete trust in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you want to know what a life lived in complete trust and reliance on God would be like? And what that would result in in the impact of your family and your friends and, and, and the people that you come in contact with? Just look at Jesus. People are still being saved because Jesus was willing to go to the cross. And God is looking for us to be willing to deny ourselves, to put the things that we've desired aside to have His desire working in us. Where we abide, we let Him fill and flood and overflow our lives not just flood us up to the top, overflow and begin to splash out on the people around us so that their lives will become impacted and changed because Jesus is coming back. You may have family, you may have friends, you may have co-workers, you may have neighbors, and you definitely, and I definitely, come across the path of people every day that aren't saved. And we want them saved. God wants them saved before Jesus returns. And we're the means. The church is the vehicle. The church is the body of Christ that the head, Jesus, is going to use to see this massive harvest of souls into the kingdom before he returns. Verse 21, it says, Therefore I do not treat God's gracious gift as something of minor importance and defeat its very purpose. I do not set aside and invalidate and frustrate and nullify the grace, unmerited favor of God. The grace of God is what we're saved by, but the grace is what we live by. We can't live the life of God except by the grace of God. 
And what is grace? It's the empowering presence of God to cause you and me to be what he has for us to be and do what he has for us to do. So we need the grace of God. And we, we shouldn't frustrate it. We shouldn't nullify it. But the way we do that is we disconnect. We allow other things to become more important, more, more of a priority, have a greater precedence. And then back to Jesus in John chapter 17. This is part of the same teaching that started in verse 15, or chapter 15. And it goes on, and Jesus gets to this point. He's still on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Who's that? That's us. That's the people that are still coming. That's everyone. Everyone that will believe. I pray that they will be what? One. Just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. That's the abiding. But recognize what he's talking about. He's talking about how the Father and Son abide and how we need to abide in the Son and, and what's going to happen, it says, and they may be in us so that the world may believe you sent me. This abiding, this abiding that is not just partnership with God like the stage one and two, this is friendship with God. This is us really having an intimate interaction, a consistent, continuous relationship with God wherever we go. That's why the Spirit of God came to dwell in us, so that there would be no interruption. Nothing can interrupt our intimacy with God except what we let interrupt it. as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, that they may know so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me and that you have loved them as much as you love me. We're in the Son. The Son is in us. The Father is in the Son. There is an abiding. There is a oneness. But that oneness is what fosters the oneness among us. When we abide in God and God begins to flow in our lives, all of a sudden, all the issues we had with everybody else, they become unimportant because we're filled with the love of God. And the love of God believes the best. The love of God doesn't count as... Uh, suffered wrong. The love of God doesn't demand its own way. This is the only way that unity is going to come. The world's going to know that Jesus was sent by the Father. And get this, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and, and what? And that you love them. Them who? The world. You love the world as much as you love me. God so loved the world that he gave who? His son. 
You know, it's not going to be because our, our great sermons or our condemnation or our conviction or anything else. It's by the love of God. Just like we, we sang today, the goodness of God, about the goodness of God. I will sing of the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. When, God, when people recognize God loves them, when you recognize somebody really loves you, they're not in it for them, they're in it for you, they want the best for you, which direction do you move? Do you move towards them or away from them? I know it's an obvious question. We move towards, and that's what people do when they find out that we are so filled with God, and God, God is is covering us, He's filling us, He's flooding us, He's flowing in us, His love, and all of a sudden we begin to love them, just like Dave was saying. You know, we have an opportunity every time we eat out to show love to the people that serve us. And anywhere we go, when you're in a line at the grocery store, you can show love to the person that's checking you out and the people all around you. But we have to be Willing to be vessels that are filled up and poured out by God to impact. And I'll tell you, I have never, never, never in all my 67 years of life, I have never seen so many people so receptive to being cared about. Not, not being, you know, pursued as far as you got to do this, you got to do this. Hey, is there anything I can do for you? Is there anything I can pray for you for? The reactions, the responses we get. We were just out on Friday. There's a lady that was waiting on us. And I just got a nudge from the Holy Spirit to just tell her, you know, we're going to pray over our food. We're going to ask God to bless it. Is there anything we can pray for you for God to bless you with? It, it, it took her back. She didn't say anything for a few minutes. And then she said, well, that's very nice. Uh, and we said, no, anything. We, 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 we just want to pray for you. She said, yeah, my, my name is Amanda. You can pray for me. And my son, Nicholas, is going into, I think she said, fourth grade. And he's a real tender-hearted kid. And I'm concerned about what it's going to be like for him and how people are going to treat him. And I said, absolutely, we can pray for that. We'll pray for you, Amanda, and we'll pray for Nicholas. And she was like, thank you. Now, did anybody give their life to the Lord? No. But you know what happened? Somebody saw God. Somebody was aware that, that they were cared about. And why did we do it? Because we love God. We want God to have his way in our lives. Do we always? No. Man, there are some times that if people walked in the door after seeing me in certain ways, they'd be like, you're the pastor? Oh, you know what I'm talking about. You do the same thing. I still have moments where I fall down. But I'll tell you this, there are less than ever before. Fewer and farther between. But God has for us to be so abiding, so connected, that the flow would be unhindered, uninterrupted, and unending. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. It is a huge blessing to be a child of God, but it is an amazing honor to be used by God. 
The Bible says many are called and few are chosen. God calls all of us. All of us have a calling. A calling to be a part of his family, to be co-laborers in his kingdom. But we choose whether we're going to or not. Whether we're going to allow God to have his way or we're going to go off on some tangent, do some other thing because we think it's really important. And, and at the moment it may be, but how many of us have seen people make something so important only to find out later on it wasn't as important as they thought? Well, you can be sure that the most important thing in, in every person's life, whether they're allowing it or not, is to allow God to have his way. And we can't do anything about anybody else, but we can choose for us. Just like Joshua. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Lord, I, I want to abide. I, I want. I want your discipline. Help me get free of the sin. Show me where it is. If there's anything hindering you from having your way. I want to be pruned. I don't like the pain. But Father, I want the results. And I can't have the results without the pruning, without the disciplining, without the abiding. And Father, I, I, I pray for every one of us here today that we would have a hunger and thirst after, after righteousness, that we would long for you more than we long or desire anything else. And you may say, I, I, I don't have that. You can have that. Everyone can. But you have to, you have to request from God. You have to make a choice. Choose this day who you're going to serve. Because as long as you're running your life, God won't. But when you turn to Christ and you trust in Him, as you draw near to Him, He'll draw near to you. If you're here today and you have never never recognized you needed to invite Christ to be Lord of your life. You thought he'd just take over. Well, he won't. He won't push anything on you anytime. But he'll always respect the boundaries you put in on him. But he wants to be your Savior, your Lord, your provider, your healer. The one who fills you with hope, the God of all hope. And if you've never done that here or if you're online this morning, I invite you to pray this prayer. We're all going to pray together. But I invite you to turn to God, own it, and say, God, I, I, I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Repent and turn around and trust God. So let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who left heaven came into earth, lived a sinless life, died on the cross to pay the price for my sins, and was raised glorious and victorious and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Today, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I turn from running my own life to trust in you. Lord Jesus, come into my life. Be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours. 
You are mine. Thank you for saving me. Guard me, guide me, and govern me. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.